0: they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's
1: ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No
0: purchase necessary. BGW. Group. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good afternoon. It's Friday, May 27th and this is Chickie Fitzgerald, the founder of the Executive Girlfriends Group and I am so pleased to introduce to you the author of Influence, Maddie Dykewald. Maddie, welcome. Well, thank you, Chickie. It's great to be with you today. Terrific. Maddie, can you give us just a, a thumbnail uh, about you? We had uh, the folks who are listening live to the call uh, share a little bit about their background. If you can just give us that same thumbnail, that would be great.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I am one of the founders. My husband and I actually started a business together even before – Right about the time we got married, uh, called Age Wave, and Age Wave is a sort of think tank focused on the aging of the population and what it means for business, and we've been doing that for uh, forever, and, you know, the focus really is looking at demographic shifts and what they mean for business, and mm. as you can imagine, being in this in this partnership with my husband, we've been married for more than 27 years, which is... We still love each other, which is fabulous. <laughs> we have like, a business partnership and a personal partnership. We have two kids. Uh, our daughter, who is our oldest, is 24. And I just spoke to her a few minutes ago. She's in Lyon, France right now um, for work. Uh, she's actually producing a music festival in Lyon mm. right now. And our son, uh, who goes to Columbia, he's 21, uh, he is actually traveling in Laos right now. Oh, my He spent the semester at Hong Kong University for his junior year abroad and is traveling with a bunch of friends. So we have two great kids who are definite adventurers, which we're happy about. And um, and I really feel like I'm an adventurer, but not just going out there traveling, which I guess has a lot of relevancy to your business, but also in terms of intellectually, I'm really interested in what changes business and lifestyle and society in general, and uh, which is how I got interested in, in the subject matter of women. Well, you know,
0: it, it's so amazing, and I had told you before we started the recording that I've been doing a, a significant amount of consulting with AARP. So I am really, really excited to have yet another source of someone who takes a look at at those trends because it's clearly important uh, in helping them formulate their strategy. So we'll have to have an offline conversation yeah, about that. Yeah, i love to. Terrific. So the, the subtitle of your book is How Women's Soaring Economic Power Will Transform Our World for the Better. And, you know, the title just, you know, as you might imagine, uh, particularly because we use Help a Reporter Out as as our primary source for speakers, I typically get 150 different uh, responses when we put out uh, a call for speakers. But when I saw the title of your book, I was just captivated. So um, so I would love to know what prompted you to actually write Influence. Well, it's a
1: really good question. Uh, you know, first of all, I'm am I'm a working mother. And so for many years, I was working part-time and mostly just doing keynote speeches and when my kids were in high school, I wanted to get more back into the swing of things with work. And I was trying to find some a little niche for myself within our company, Age Wave, that might really, you know... Be in an area that I could really dive deep into, and just coincidentally at that time, we had a client, a financial services client who came to us and asked us to do a research project on women and money and you know frankly, we turned around and we said, you know we 're probably not the best people to do that <laughs> uh, we're just that 's not our area and they came back right. to us and they said, "You know that is exactly why we're interested in having you get involved you 're totally objective you don 't come into this with a point of view already, and, you know, you guys are great at what you do. We want you to take a look at this from a really objective standpoint. So we did. And when I was at the focus groups, and I'll never forget this, I was in Los Angeles, and I was listening to women talk about their relationship with money, and I began to realize that underneath the demographic shift that I've always looked at, which is the aging of the population, was Mm -hmm. this other demographic shift that was, larger and wider. I mean, it was half the population women, and it was wider, and it's been sort of going on for a long time, but that this demographic shift could represent the biggest change agent for the 21st century, and that is that as women are gaining economic power, they're really transforming the way the world works. And I think the important thing to keep in mind is that for thousands and thousands of years, women have been economically dependent on men. I mean, that's just the way the world works. And now, in the beginning of the 20th, the end of the 20th century, we began to see that women, in fact, could be economically independent, and they began to move through the different stages of economic independence, and I think we've gotten to a place where we're beginning to see a critical mass of women gaining education Entering the workforce, staying in the workforce, and taking on positions of middle management and positions of leadership, and really transforming the way the world works. So can you give us some examples of how far we have
0: come as women? Because I, I found the, the early chapters of your book just fascinating on that front, because you gave a lot of examples.
1: Uh, yeah, I can give it, great examples, and I think the important thing now is to really look at the business case of it, because for many, many years, since the literally the 1970s and 18, 1980s, we've seen all this emphasis on, you know, it's the right thing to do, to get women, to give women the opportunity to be Uh, involved in the workplace, to give women the opportunity to earn. And, you know, it's considered a nice thing to do, but now we're beginning to see it's not just the right thing to do, it's the bright thing to do because it has an impact on almost every aspect of our world. You know, just as an example, uh, during the recession, we saw a lot of men losing their jobs, and we saw women actually doing pretty well during the recession, you know, better than than. Than men, anyway. Uh, And part of that was the kinds of industries that women are employed in. So, for the very first time in history, we began to see a quarter, actually a little bit more than a quarter, of all families of married couples where the wife actually was the primary breadwinner. Now, that's a real shift. I mean, back in the 1980s, which isn't that long ago, only about 4% of women outearned their husbands. So that is a huge transformation. So we see women beginning to hold up the financial end in families. We also see in corporations, for instance, you go into the business world and you begin to realize that suddenly if you put women on boards and on senior leadership committees, you begin to see tremendous Shifts take place, and one of those shifts is increased profitability and By the way, it's not just one woman on a board or in a senior leadership committee because that's really just tokenism and They right. find if you put two women on a board for some reason there's conflict that gets created, and that's never a good thing but if you put three or more women on a board or on a senior leadership committee suddenly you begin to see profitability begin to rise and that that's actually influence in action
0: so that's pretty well important. and i love to hear that because uh you know one of the things that we like to do within the executive girlfriends group is is show demonstration of that so this is why when i when i read your book it, it was just so amazing to read that but you know on the other side is this whole issue of influence of women And the recognition of that influence still seems to be an uphill battle. So what changes are you seeing in the recognition of the influence of women?
1: Okay. Well, let me take a step back from that for a minute. And I think we need to be real about women's influence uh, and realize that it's still just a small number of women who have a huge impact. But what we have done so great is we've seen a critical mass of women get to sort of that middle place, uh, middle management and work, uh, middle income. So we've done a great job of getting to that middle place. But unfortunately, we have not yet broken through to the top of the influence food chain. Uh, we have more and more examples of women who have, and and that's good news. But um, overall, we, we're not doing any better now than we have in, back in the 1980s. And I think... This is a real call to action to recognize that and to do something about it, to enlist men to help women because if it's good for women, it's also good for men because if it, for instance, improves the profitability in a company, you would think that the men in that company would want the profitability to increase
0: and therefore they'd
1: want more women involved in senior leadership, right? Right. Right. So we've got to make that happen. We've also got to have more women step up to the plate and say, yes, I'm willing to take on those leadership positions. And, you know, we're being pulled in so many different directions in our lives, you know, between work and family and uh, taking care of aging parents. Everything like that just seems to come together in a way that many women don't want to stand up and say yes. I'll take on more responsibility. I want a leadership position. So that's something that we have to get real with. Got it. Got it. So, and, you know, I know that sounds like a little bit of a bad piece of information, but I see it as positive piece of information because if we can get real with it and understand it, then we can figure out what stands in the way of women getting into more leadership positions and therefore once they do then they get recognized for their for their influence, frankly. I mean, just as a great example, look at Indra Nui who is uh, CEO of one of the it's the fourth largest global brand in for in the world. <laughs> uh, and that's PepsiCo and she gets tremendous recognition for being in that position. So I think when women do get in the position, they do get the recognition. So you talk about
0: uh the different financial personality types in the book and and from alpha females to you know uncertain searchers, which are, are some of the names that you've given. Some of the others are perceptive planner, power partner, uh supportive traditionalist. How much um does that personality type impact our ability? to take that position of influence.
1: Oh, I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, I really try to explore the financial side of things and you know, I can't help it. It's just I guess it's the way a woman's mind works in some ways. I couldn't help with when looking at the finances, digging down a little bit deeper and looking at the psychological impact of the way we deal with money. And what I began to realize is that, you know, women are not all the same. It's that's one of the big aha's that for instance the financial services industry needs to realize is, you know, you talk about the women's market, it's not a niche market. There's all kinds of women, and they have all different kinds of financial needs. What I began to see was that there were these different financial personality types. And we did a study, and in that study, we began to segment women into different Financial personality types And frankly, women self-selected Into these types of personalities And what we realized was that there were five Different types Uh, From the most confident And we realized, by the way, that confidence Is one of the big factors In determining a personality type That was financially oriented So the most powerful The most confident was that alpha female And only about 18% of women Fall into that category And they're a woman who's you know, willing to shoot from her hip, big risk taker, willing to act in a lot of ways the way a very sort of aggressive guy would act in terms of her financial capabilities. So that's the alpha female. Uh, then you have that perceptive planner. And, by the way, most women today will tell you that they're a perceptive planner. Uh, more than a third of all women fall into this category. And that's a woman who really likes to get all the information in front of her, do her research, really find out what's going on before making a financial decision, uh, which sounds really good, but sometimes they mull it over just a little bit too much and they miss the financial opportunities as a result. Um, the third kind, and I would put myself into this category, and it's about just a, about a quarter of all women fall into this category, they what we call a power partner, someone who likes to make financial decisions with someone else. Uh, For instance, I do so with my husband, but a lot of people do that with, you know, a best friend, a boss, a parent. It doesn't have to be a husband or a spouse or or a partner. It can be anyone that you feel comfortable making decisions with. I mean, we like to do it together because we feel like we, we can sort of be at each other's back, so to speak, um, so that's kind of a nice thing. Then, So all three of those personality types are pretty financially empowered. Uh, there are two types of personalities that are less financially empowered, and that doesn't mean they can't change, by the way. Uh, it means that they need to recognize that they want to change. Uh, one of them is what we call the supportive traditionalist, and that is the smallest number of women, about 8% of women, identify themselves as supportive traditionalists and you know the title sort of says the whole thing i mean sort of the de facto what women used to be they defer their financial decisions to someone else oftentimes a spouse Uh, they don't want to take any financial decision making responsibilities at all they just don't want to know about it they don't care and uh, they they don't They really don't want to make those decisions. But the other kind is what I call the uncertain searcher, and about 16% of women identify themselves as being uncertain searchers. And that's someone who they'd like to make financial decisions for themselves, but they feel very uneducated about it, and they're not sure where to turn for information. So if they could get the information, then suddenly it might transform them into someone who is much more empowered financially.
0: Well, so it's interesting. Are... Yeah, go on, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say earlier earlier in uh the the chapter that where you talk about that in the book, you you've got a very simple uh pyramid diagram which uh comes uh I believe off of the Maslow's uh hierarchy of needs, but it talks about survival, independence and influence really being the three stages of economic power and I think having just heard about those personality types it's it's really interesting to see how it feeds into that. So, uh, you know, as we take a look at at um, alpha females that have have gone out and tried to build businesses or or successfully built businesses, and uh, I hope to be in the latter category before long, but have certainly been in the former. Uh, you talk a little bit about um, why there aren't more women in venture capital and why the venture capital community isn't funding women-owned businesses or or women-founded businesses.
1: Can you give us a little bit of color on that? Yeah. You know, I interviewed a lot of venture capitalists for my book, both women and men, and what they told me, there were several different things. First of all, we need to keep in mind that a really small number of venture capitalists are women, only N. Uh, I'm sorry, well, a very small number are, and the money that goes to women who are looking for venture money is very small. Only about 6.8% of all uh, U.S. venture investment money went to women-owned firms in 2009. So that's that's not that long ago. I mean, it's just it's a really sad kind of thing, but there's several reasons. One of the things is that they said that most women pitch a business idea um, at exactly the amount of money they expect it to make or even underplay the amount of money that they expect the business to make, and that that is really not the way things are done in venture capital. They called it the zeros problem. (laughs) They said that when men pitch ideas, they add zeros. They add at least three (laughs) zeros. Um, But it never occurs to women when they launch companies to do that. And you have to realize that potential investors look at a business and they're used to seeing big numbers from men, and they want those big numbers. Right. So that's one of the most important things to keep in mind. Uh, The other thing is that most people go for venture money to people that they know that are part of their networks. Now, although women are great networkers in general, social networkers, they're not necessarily great networkers in terms of having a goal, uh, like, for instance, raising venture capital funds. So they don't go after their goal with it and they don't try to cultivate a network of venture capital people at their fingertips. So that's really a problem as well. Uh, Those personal connections or, you know, those angels or private equity firms, connecting with those people becomes a very important thing. Um, And another explanation for that lack of funds flowing to women-owned firms is that while it's the kind of firms that women try to create. Uh, oftentimes, women-owned companies just don't have much growth potential uh, the way that men's companies often do. I mean, they've been sort of characterized as cookie companies. And, you know, it's great to have one or two com- cookie companies, but you know, people who are raising venture capital funds need to realize that Venture companies are looking for all kinds of companies, but ones who are going to produce large profits. Right.
0: Absolutely.
1: So tell us some of the things
0: that women do to undermine the, this position of influence that they could
1: have. Oh, boy, there are so many different things that women do to undermine the kind of influence they could have. Um, One is that uh, in the workplace, uh, women often don't really ask for the dollars. Uh, Apparently, and there's been many studies that show this, uh, when women ask for money in the negotiating process, they tend to under- Play what their own personal value is, whereas men tend to overplay what it is. And, you know, we talked about this in terms of venture capital money. It's the same thing when it comes to their own personal worth and their own personal value in the workplace. We tend to underplay how valuable we are. And that just is not such a great idea when we're trying to uh, increase our earning capability. So that's a really good example. And maybe you even have some personal examples from your own lives that might interplay with this.
0: Well, I certainly one came to my mind when we were talking about the whole venture capital uh issue because in in my particular situation, you know, I was I was the founder or one of one of the founders of of the business and ended up buying out my partner. And you know we got the business to the place where where we were beginning to build out of the technology and started hiring a few key people and then went out for for external money and I let the investment community tell me you know that that I couldn't be the c e o because i was uh, they never said because I was a woman, but they certainly said it was because I was a founder, and founders tend to be too passionate. Uh, about their businesses and i and i think again rather than stepping up and saying look i'm the only person who could do this and you know being the alpha female that i am um you know i instead stepped into um uh, the the traditional uh role financially and let somebody else drive the bus and and ultimately um, you know the bus crashed, and and uh, fortunately I was not on the bus at the time. But you know, again, I th- I think that if, um, remembering who we are and not letting someone convince us that that we're someone else. Uh, I, I think that's that's one of those things uh, where we do let ourselves get under. Yeah, mind. and
1: I think that's a really good point. The idea that women, especially now, it's less today than it was not so long ago, but, uh, you know, the the rules in the workplace right now are really rules that were created by men, uh, for men, and they don't necessarily fit with a woman's lifestyle so great, and women have been very slow on the draw to try to transform those rules of the workplace. Uh, we've done a little bit of that, you know, the idea of working from home a little bit and, you know, leaving the workplace to start our own companies, yes, that. That kind of works out, but we haven't really made any real significant inroads in transforming the cycle of work and the whole idea of how you grow in a company and how you begin to exert power and influence in a company so that it more reflects to the values and the characteristics that women embrace. Right. You know, Maddie, you
0: had so many great stories in this book uh, from the interviews that you did. You know, tell me just about one or two of your very favorite stories.
1: Oh, well, you know, I had a whole chapter in my book on legacy, what influence really looks like out there in the world, and those were my favorite of favorite interviews. Uh, but before I even said that one, my one of my male interviews was with uh, Robert Reich, the former Secretary of Labor, and he made a couple comments that just blew my mind. So um, I loved my interview with him. He said, for instance, that he believes in the next 10 years the average woman will outearn the average man. Huh? Now, to me, that was amazing because that's—I mean—that will change everything. The way the entire world works will be changed. He also said something else that I thought was pretty spectacular uh, and very insightful. He said that when men want to have babies. As much as women want to have babies, that's when we'll really see the balance of power change in a family and change in the workplace. And I think that, you know, like it or not, that there's a lot of truth in that statement. So I thought that was amazing. I also- so one of my
0: favorite stories, and maybe you can uh, share this, um, was was about the the women who who actually invested in, in building businesses on the other side of the world, uh, you know, using microfinancing, um, you know to really make a difference. Um, and I believe the stories were were primarily in Africa.
1: Oh yeah, well, there's a lot of that that goes on. Uh, I mean, just some terrific, terrific things that go on. But you know, I opened the entire book with the story about beads for life, uh, mm-hmm. which is a, which is a nonprofit based in uh, in Colorado that was started by two women from Colorado, Ginny Jordan and Torquin Wakefield, and the way they started that business is really pretty amazing i mean they were on a trip to uganda and they were in kampala uh, in a village right outside of kampala and they saw the native women there you know just sitting on the grounds and making these beads out of um, mag old recycled magazines and they made these absolutely beautiful beads out of them and so they bought a lot of these necklaces and brought them back to Colorado and you know they were really touched by the stories of these women because it, they lived in such dire poverty over there near Kampala and uh by the way in Kampala uh i mean a uh, policeman if he starts making 5 or 6 if he makes 5 or 6 dollars a day uh that's that's pretty great and these women were making less than that. And they used an example of one woman, this woman, her name was Joan Ahimbizibwe, <laughs> And she was an HIV mother, and she was one of the women making these beads. And um, they, so they go back to Colorado. They, their friends love the beads, think they're fantastic. And Ginny and Torkin realize that they might be able to sell them, you know, sort of, in the Tupperware party model uh, to their friends and people that they know, and they started doing that. And as a result of selling those beads, uh, this woman, Joan Haimbezibwe, back in Uganda, was able to suddenly make 5 to $6 a day, which is pretty much what the policeman makes, and mm. suddenly her entire life changed. I mean, she was basically living in, in a mud hut before that. She was able to buy a storefront, uh, and put herself and her three children in that storefront from the storefront, begin to sell other items like sugar and fresh beans and such, and suddenly be able to create an entire income for herself to the point where one of her children was a young girl um she was able to send her daughter to a private school because there were no public schools there for young girls in her community. Um, so she was able to send her daughter to school, which could, in fact, break the entire cycle of poverty in her family.
0: Oh, completely. I mean, just changing the whole family tree.
1: Exactly, which is, to me, so exciting and so interesting.
0: Well, th- as I was reading that, I was just so inspired because, uh, you know, it's it's interesting when, when you've got money and, and you're, you're able to think about how you want to disperse that money um, – you know, it's one thing, but, you know, having just come off of, of uh, basically three very, very awful years even before the economic crisis, um, you know, one of our greatest frustrations was not being able to give during that period. And um, when I started reading about this, I thought, wow, you know, I really need to make this next year. And, and maybe we do it with, the you know, whatever revenues we have from the executive girlfriends group of actually rooting that through one of these firms that does microfinancing for those kinds of communities, and so that we can actually see the output of of that, I think that would be just amazing.
1: Yeah, it is. It's really amazing, and you know, I think uh, one of the women I interviewed was Jacqueline Novogratz, who is, you know, she has she is a venture person, and she's created something called Patient Capital, uh, where she takes money and invests it in businesses. Uh, in these third-world countries, many women own businesses, and the whole idea is that the money is not going to grow very quickly, but if you're patient, the capital will, in fact, grow. So the whole idea is to do good and do good well and do well as well, but right. to do it on a different time frame. Very, very interesting. So what are the top three
0: takeaways that you would want uh, to leave with our listeners from the book?
1: Okay, well, the first one and the most important one, I think, is that women really will be the biggest change agent of the 21st century. And so fasten your seatbelts, get ready to be part of this, uh, both women and men. Uh, Second is that we're seeing a critical mass of women uh, gain education, gain earning power, and take on positions of power in the workplace. And that is going to transform itself directly into influence. And then thirdly, that each and every one of us can exert our influence and make a change in the way the world works. And there's all kinds of things that we can do. And in my book, in the last chapter, I give ten examples of what each and every one of us can do. And the first one, which I think is the most important, is that we can foster financial knowledge, education, and expertise for women and girls, starting with ourselves. I mean, it's really important that women get savvy around money, and there's all kinds of ways to do it. And by doing that and trying to empower someone else, like maybe it's our daughter, maybe it's our mother, maybe it's a friend, to also do that, we're changing the way the world works. Got it. Got it. Well, let me
0: just share uh, with our listeners just Uh, a little bit of the outline of the book. The book is available for sale on the Executive Girlfriends Group Bookstore. Um, It begins with Power Shift on the Horizon, which is is where Maddie uh, gives that that picture of um, the perspective on where women have come from and, and where they're going. Global Change and Whole Wheat Pizza, which is Profiles of Influence in Business, The Entrepreneurial Exodus. Uh, The fourth chapter is In the Workplace, Rewriting the Rules from the Outside In. The next one is In the Marketplace, Women Are the Market. Uh, Chapter six is At Home, talks about the future of men. Chapter seven, In the Family, Mutiny on Noah's Ark. Chapter eight, In Politics, Closing the Leadership Gap. Chapter 9, Legacy, What Influence Looks Like, and then uh, the chapter that Maddie was just quoting from, uh, which is What Can You Do, and it's a very, very, very practical step-by-step list of 10 different things that you can do. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for joining us on this holiday weekend. I know uh, everyone is just chomping at the bit to uh, break into their weekend, so uh, we'll just like to thank you on behalf of the Executive Girlfriends Group, but I do want to just um, break for a minute to see if our our folks who are live on the call today have any questions for you before we let you go. Anybody have a comment or a question? Okay, we must be the only thing standing between them and the Margarita.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I don't wanna be that person. sounds <laughs> like I already am <laughs> all right well. Thank well, Maddie, you. it I was it, it was terrific, and I,
0: I really, really enjoyed your book. So um, thank you so much for joining us, and we will be providing the audio of this uh, to you in MP3 format. It will also be on uh, Blog Talk Radio uh, by the end of the weekend, so you'll Good. be able to share well, that you. link with anybody who might want to listen to the interview. Well, thank you so, so much. And with that, we are going to turn off the recording.
1: Okay. Well, thanks again.
0: Okay. Take care. Bye.